27. If you'll turn there, I'm going to read this entire chapter. It's just five verses. The first verse says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And that's certainly true for our nation, isn't it? It is vain, he says, for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Then verse 3 and 4 is the focus of our message tonight. 3, 4, and 5. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I'm not coming to you tonight as the professional archer that can teach you how to build the arrow, but I do want you to understand tonight that I do have some experience in this text. I'm coming to you as a man that was once an arrow in the hand of a mighty man. And the principles that I'm going to share with you tonight are the principles that helped me develop into the man that I am today. I may not be the archer, but I'm the arrow. An arrow that was raised by a father and a mother that loved the Lord, served the Lord. And they raised me and led me to do the same. Most of you maybe know my brother Timothy that's a member of this church. And I believe Brother Ben uh, came and preached for you a few Wednesday nights ago. They're my brothers, but we... We are three boys in a family of seven kids. Somebody a while ago told me they had 13 children. You must be a happy man because your quiver is very full. Uh, but uh, I know what it's like to be an arrow, but I also know what it's like to be in a full quiver. And I'm number four of the seven. I'm right in the middle. I have three above me and three below me. My mom had her first child when she was 20 years of age and her last child when she was 45 years of age. She had uh, 25 years of experience in, in birthing children and 50 years of experience in raising children. And my mom's now in her early 70s and just retired this year from raising Timothy. She finally shot her last arrow. The Bible says, happy is the mom and happy is the dead that hath a quiver full. But you know, I think there's an even... Even a little bit more happiness when finally the quiver is used up and the arrows are shot. Now, I'm thankful to be able to say to you tonight that all seven of my siblings are born-again Christians. That's a blessing. All of my family, all of my brothers and sisters have come to know Christ. And not only that, they're married to born-again Christians. And they're all in some capacity serving the Lord in various churches. And all of them that have children of their own are raising their children to love the Lord as we were taught. And that's a blessing. God has certainly given my family a very rich heritage. My brother Ben and I are fourth generation ministers. My great grandfather Joe Laird was a circuit riding preacher in the 1800s in central Mississippi. He rode a mule and pastored 13 churches in a circuit. His son Cecil, my grandfather, pastored and served as a state missionary all over the state all of his life. His last pastorate, he was at the church I'm currently at, Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church. He was there for 23 years. God's blessed me this year to be there 16 years, and that's been a blessing. My grandfather died in a car wreck while serving on the mission field. The last stop that he made was a prison, and he always kept a little notebook in his front pocket, and just before a drunk driver hit him and killed him, he had just led a man to Christ about 30 minutes earlier. What a way to go, doing the Lord's work. 
He had two sons, Harold and Roger. Harold's my dad. They are both ministers, missionaries. They've served all of their adult life, many of those years in the country of Chile. And so I, I was blessed. I was blessed to have a mother and a father that viewed children as being just what our text says, and heritage from the Lord. Now, I, please, if you take what I'm saying as me boasting in anything, you've taken it the wrong way. What I'm sharing with you tonight is that God has blessed my family, and he's blessed us to be able to know him and to serve him. I'm not boasting in anything my family has accomplished or done for the Lord, but rather what the Lord has accomplished and done for my family. And we are a testament of God's grace and a product of some Robin Hood daddies, okay? That's what I want to preach to you tonight. If I'm going to get a title of the message, that's what it's going to be, Robin Hood daddies. In our text, the Bible says, as children are, or as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. I'm thankful that God allowed me to be placed in the hands of a mom and dad that taught me to love and serve the Lord. And in a world that views children as merely a byproduct and even oftentimes as a burden, my Bible tells me they're a heritage. They're a reward from the Lord. They're a gift from God. The word heritage means an heirloom, something of great value, something handed down from one generation to the next generation. The Hebrew word also means a portion or a possession given. You know, think about it. We might think of riches. We may think of lands. We may think of physical possessions. But I want you to know something. None of those things that you pass down to the next generation are going to mean anything in eternity. The one thing that God's given you that will mean something in eternity are the children he's given you. By the way, the only thing you're going to be able to take into heaven that God's and gifted you here on this earth are your children. And so a skilled archer, as he prepares his arrows, must first know, and here's the first thing that I want to get across to you tonight, you must first know the value of what you're doing, the value of what's in your hands, the value of the arrow that you're making. If that archer doesn't understand the value or feel that importance, the craftsmanship of that arrow is going to lack, wouldn't you agree? Have you ever done one of those jobs where it's, it's just a shed? Anybody ever had that ideology when building something? My wife gets on to me all the time because I'm not a carpenter like Brother Jeremiah is, but every once in a while I'll tinker with putting something together. But my idea is, well, we'll start here and put this together, and this looks good, and by the time it's over, it's leaning, and it's got cracks in it. And my wife will look at me, and I'll say, it's just a shed. You know, I'm afraid there are a lot of people that are raising their children with the mentality that it's just a shed. No plan, no purpose, no value. But I want you to understand something. How we're raising our children and the arrows that we're shooting out into the next generation is very valuable to this nation. I believe that what we're seeing today, the change in our culture, the change in morality, the change in ideology that's happening today is because there is a younger generation of people growing up who've not been taught the standard and the word of God. They've not been taught to know the Lord and love the Lord. And they're taking over. They're the decision makers. They're now the leaders. There have been some daddies who have failed to prepare proper arrows. I'm a chaplain also of our local sheriff's office. And every week I'm sitting down with inmates and ministering to them. And it's almost the same story with everybody that I talk to who's getting in trouble, who's committing crime, whose lives are in bondage to dope and alcohol. It's almost as if I could just record one testimony and replay it with every one of them. Coming from a broken home. A fatherless life. I want you to understand 
Daddies, first of all, you are important in the life of your children. Mamas are too. But God's given a special responsibility to the father. So I want you to understand tonight your ability and your accomplishment by God's grace to raise your children that will one day love God and serve Christ in this ungodly, dark, and evil world must begin with the understanding of their value to God's purpose and their value to others. We need arrows for the battle. Listening? Notice what he says in our text. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. These children, this next generation, by the way, are going to be the ones that confront the enemy. They're going to be the next generation of light and darkness. They're going to be the next ones that stand against the things that are coming and oppressing our nation and our world. We need some arrows. God's people need more arrows, by the way. The church needs more arrows. Listen to me. The world has its arrows. <laughs> Psalms 11 verse 2 says, The wicked bend their bow, and they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. The devil's got his arrows, and the world has their arrows. Do you understand the importance of what you're doing with your arrows, the preparation that you're taking, the time that you're taking, and Preparing the next generation of arrows for the battle. Consider Moses' parents for a moment as we think about the value of your children. You remember the book of Exodus. The Bible says there went a man out of the house of Levi and he took to wife the daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw him that he was what? Somebody help me. He was a goodly child. She hit him three months. Goodly child. As she viewed the child, she saw what? Value. She saw something worth, worth sacrificing her own life for. You know the story. They took and they hid him. And by God's grace, God allowed that child to be brought back into his own mother's bosom to be cared for. I think for probably the next five to six years. It was not uncommon for a child to nurse five or six years. And so for the first five or six years of Moses' life, he was under the tutorage of his mom and his dad. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven twenty three, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Raising your children in a hostile environment, knowing that the enemy wants to destroy them, it is a purposeful act. It's an act of faith by two parents that fear God and value the soul of their children. We see that in Moses. See your children as precious, number one. But number two, raise your children on purpose. Understand that. Raise your children on purpose. Raise your children with a purpose. What I'm trying to say is don't treat the raising of your kids like a second-rate project. Okay? One of the struggles of fathers is that we're busy men, aren't we? We have careers and we, especially in the deep south, we think that we are doing the job of a man as long as we're bringing home the bacon and protecting our family. But I want you to know something. That's not the most important thing you're doing. You're, you're raising the next generation of arrows. And don't allow your job and your occupation and all of the busyness and responsibilities of your life to allow 18 years to pass by and you look back and you realize the opportunity's over. And it will be over, by the way. Well, let's understand tonight 
But God has given us a role and he's given us a privilege. And he's given us a gift in allowing us to be a generation of men to raise a generation of children that could know and serve the Lord. Somebody asked me, is it possible, Brother Thomas, in the day and the age that we live in for your children to get to the college age and then go out into the world, maybe even attend a secular school and not be influenced to leave the faith and live like heathens. That's the fear of a lot of parents. They finally get to the place where we shoot the arrow. Is it possible in the world that we live in with all the ideology and philosophy and the wickedness and the darkness, is it even possible for them not to lose their faith? And by the way, there are many that are. I think in one Southern Baptist statistic, something like 85% of young people who come out of churches and go out to school never return. That's a sad number, by the way. Someone, somehow, we have failed somewhere. If 85% aren't returning back. But is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Wouldn't you agree with me that Moses is a good example of that? Think about it. Moses... After he left the tutorage of his parents, went to be in Pharaoh's palace. I, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but I want you to know Pharaoh's palace was not Baptist city, okay? Pharaoh's palace was not a place where we were taught to love Jesus and serve God. Pharaoh's palace was a heathenistic place. It was a pagan place. It was a, it, it was a, it was a dark place. And yet the Bible tells us that when Moses came of age and when he had the opportunity to choose whether to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season or to suffer affliction with the people of God, what did he choose? He made the right choice, didn't he? I want you to think about it for a moment. How and what was instilled in him to make that choice at the later years? I think it's what was instilled in him the first five or six years of his life. I don't imagine Moses' story would have turned out the same if his parents would have used their time of influence vainly. Moses might have been the best seven-year-old pitcher in Little League. But that kind of teaching isn't going to help you when you get to Egypt. Whether or not your daughter can do a perfect cartwheel or your son can play ball better than the rest of the team will have no eternal impact in their life. And it will certainly not help the cause of Christ. Now, I'm not saying all those things are wrong. I'm just saying, where is our focus and our attention? So we view this task, number one, as something precious. We view this task as something purposeful. But now let's look at verse 4 one more time. The Bible says, as arrows are in the hand... Of a mighty man. Now, I don't consider myself to be a professional archer by any means. I do enjoy hunting, and over the years I've hunted with a bow, and I've been blessed to be able to take a few deer with a bow and arrow, and so I know a little bit something about archery. There's one thing I can say for sure, certain an archer can be skilled, and he can be the best, he can have the best bow, but he won't be an effective without an arrow, right? Wouldn't you agree with me? Pretty simple point. But I also know that arrows are not effective without an archer. If your children are compared to arrows, then it stands to reason that you, mom and dad, are compared to the archer that's handling the arrow. Okay, that's the point that we're trying to bring out in the passage. Now, in ancient days, as an archer prepared his arrow, there are four things that I want us to understand tonight. Here are going to be my four points, and I'll be done. I'm preaching a message, by the way, that I usually preach in three parts, okay? So I'm condensing this down to one, and I have cut out a lot to be able to get all of this in in one, one setting. But there are four things that I want us to consider tonight. As we prepare the arrows, what are we to do? Number one, 
an arrow needs to be shaped. Okay? Needs to be shaped. Verse 5 says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full. But did you notice that in verse 4 it says they are in his, what? Somebody help me tonight. They're in his hands. What that tells me is that before the arrow is placed in the quiver, it has first spent some time in his hands. Now, wouldn't it be nice to go to Kids Pro or Cadella's and order up and purchase a perfectly well-raised set of children? Wouldn't that be nice? Just have everything proper in order. It's not the way it works. I mean, we're spoiled as archers today because I can go to Bass Pro or I can go to Cabela's or I can go to the local outdoor shop and I can say, listen, give me 12 of your finest carbon arrows and go ahead and have them fletched and, and put the best broadhead on those, that, that, those things and, and they're ready to go. But in ancient days, that's not how it worked, right? Not, you couldn't uh, just go and find mechanically built arrows. And so the archer would have to make his own arrows and the way they would do that, they'd make them out of wood. Not just any wood would do. You can't just go around picking up limbs off the ground and putting a broadhead and fletching on it and decide that's what I'm going to shoot. If you've ever shot a crooked arrow, and I have, it doesn't work too well. Listen to this principle from God's Word. Ecclesiastes 1.15 says, That which is crooked cannot be made straight. And that which is wanting cannot be numbered. Now, here's what I want you to understand. It is too late to make an effective arrow out of limbs that have already dried up and hardened into shape. Look at verse 4 again. Uh, He says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Youth. How many sticks have you ever seen just dry up perfectly straight? You don't go out in the woods and just see perfectly straight sticks that have dried up that way. It didn't work that way. Have you ever seen lumber that was cut, maybe even cut straight, but it wasn't stacked properly? Brother Jeremiah, you've been around that before. You come back a few weeks later and boom, bowed. Proverbs 29, 15 says this. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. What does that mean? That means a child left to himself is going to bring his mother to shame. That means a child that has not been helped and handled and shaped, a child that lives their childhood or their youth without having the hand of the father and the mother shaping them to be who God wants them to be is going to be a child that's going to drop crooked and a dried up stick that's crooked doesn't make a good arrow. He said, Brother Thomas, why is a child left to himself that way? Because I want you to understand something. Children are born with the same human nature you were born with. And they will naturally grow and age crooked unless action is taken. That is something I'm thankful that my mom and dad understood about me. Not every parent understands that of their children, by the way. Oh, not my boy. Oh, yes, your boy. Oh, not my little girl. Oh, yes, your little girl. I I remember one time asking my mom, could I do a certain thing? And she said, son, you can't, I'm not going to allow that. You can't go out and be with that crowd and be out that late at night. And I said, mom, why not? Don't you trust me? I'll never forget her reply. I'm 39 years old and I still remember to this day. She said, son, I don't trust myself. Why would I trust you? 
taught me a life lesson. By the way, I still don't trust myself. Amen? Thank God for his grace and his Holy Spirit indwelling me. But I'm like Paul. You leave me to myself and I'm chief among sinners. There is no good thing in me, the scripture says. I have a depraved sinful nature as all men do. David, David, even the, 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 the King David who, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. You remember in Psalm 51 when he confessed his sin before the Lord. He said, Lord, behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He understood his nature. Parents, you better understand something about the nature of your children. Your children, just like every child, is born with a sinful nature. You say, well... Not sure about my child. They're so precious. And they are, aren't they? But little Johnny and little Susie may be the brightest, prettiest, most precious thing in your eyes. But don't say stupid stuff like my child would never do anything like that. Because your child will do it without the grace of God. Boy, it's just going to be my luck. Somebody here tonight has got a little Johnny and a little Susie in their family. Your child has the same carnal nature that all men are born with. It isn't just the devil... And his demons. It isn't just the course of this world and its influence. It isn't just what they're taught in college. It isn't just what it we're influenced on television. Listen to me. There's something within. There's a sinful nature within. There's something that causes us to dry up crooked. And it's our sinful nature that will naturally lead us down a path of destruction. And that's why the Bible says a child left to himself will bring his mother and his father to shame. So here's the point. If you don't begin to make some corrections and straighten up some of the bends and the stick before it dries, you're going to end up with a crooked arrow. That's pretty simple. Proverbs 22:15 says, "Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him." How do we bend out some of these crooked spots. Well, God's given us some means. And by the way, he's given us a plan in those means. I'm not saying every time we need to straighten out the arrow, it takes a stick and a whipping. But I am saying that God has taught us that as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. The youth, youth. Drive that home. Why? Because they're still malleable. That stick's still green. It still has some hope. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Chasten thy son while there is... Somebody know that verse? While there's hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. What does that tell us? That tells us there's going to be a time chastening won't do any good. There's going to be a time where the pressure won't do any good. Now, ancient archers would take green limbs... And there were several methods, if you've ever studied ancient archery, there were several methods that arrows were made. There was first the string and weight method. We could take a limb, maybe it was pretty straight already, but we realized that as it dries, it's going to naturally tend to bow. And so they would take and tie a string to one end of the stick, and they'd take something heavy, a weight, and they'd tie it to the other end of the stick. And they'd, they'd suspend it from something. And so the boulder or the weight at the end of the stick put pressure on the stick as the stick dried. And so when it dried, it would dried, dried straight. That seems pretty, pretty good way. Now, if a stick had too many crooks in it, then that wouldn't work. And so what we might need to do is apply a little fire. And so they would, they would have uh, uh, some, some fire that they could go and take the stick and heat it up. And as they heated it up, they would put pressure on it 
bend it here, bend it there. And so trying to help prematurely dry it as it's straight and keep it straight. And, and you can just see, you just picture in your hand, here's the archer and he has the arrow in his hand and, he, and he's moving it and he's putting pressure where pressure needs to be put. He's trying to straighten out the bends and the crooks. And as that thing is dry, it might take a process of time. It's not something you're going to do overnight. Bend a little here, bend a little there. And as the thing dries, hopefully, at the end, what do you have? You have an arrow, a straight arrow. But I want you to know something. Too much pressure can cause the stick to snap. Too little pressure can cause the stick to grow crooked. Now, here's the hard part you have. How much pressure? When and where? A wise arrow maker would learn the right balance and the right pressure at the right time. And I believe a wise parent learns the right balance as well. I thank God for a mama and daddy that first of all disciplined me. Now, most of the years of my life, I was brought up in homeschool, but ninth, tenth, eleventh, uh, twelfth grade year, I went to a private academy. It's supposed to be a Christian academy. I don't know how Christian it was. There's a lot of influence out there among the young people. And uh, I never will forget, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grade year, when everybody was getting to go out and do certain things, parties, and not Thomas, you know. I knew better than even ask. I mean, it, we just came up and realized, Mom, Dad, they just weren't going to allow us to do that for our own protection. And I used to get picked on a lot. Oh, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that. Brother Jeremiah knows what I'm talking about. A lot of peer pressure when it comes to being brought up in a Christian home. But I, I never will forget the night of my graduation. One of the guys that used to rub, rib me a good bit for not going out and partying and doing the things that they did. He, he came up to me the night of our graduation. He says, look, I realize we're fixing to be going our separate ways. and may not see each other for a long time. And he said, there's something I've been wanting to tell you for a while. I said, what's that? He said, I want to tell you I'm jealous. I said, jealous? What do you mean? I only wish I would have had a mom and dad that loved me as much as your mom and dad loved you. Now, here's the guy that had the brand new 2000 and, or 2000, what am I talking about? 1997 Z71 pickup that his dad bought him. Here's the guy that had all the new clothes and anything that he wanted. Here's the guy that could go and do anything he wanted to do. But you know what he recognized? My mom and dad loved me more, he perceived, than his mom and dad loved him. Why? Because they were wise enough to put some pressure on me and to mold me. And to help me. I'll never forget that. But they not only were parents that disciplined me. They were parents that I thank God knew the balance. My mom and dad lovingly corrected us. And they did it early in our life. Psalm Proverbs 13, 24 says this. He that spareth his rod, what? Hateth his son. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. That's an important word. Because it, here's what betimes means. It means early and often. Early and often. By the way, the rebellion that makes a toddler knock his brother in the head with a bottle is the same rebellion that makes an adult knock somebody's head in with a baseball bat. It's just a little bit more mature. But it's the same rebellion. Do you get that? I promise you it's easier to deal with a 2-year-old than it is a 28-year-old. Amen? By the way, did you know that a one-year-old can be the most manipulative human alive? You know what I'm talking about. Walk in the room, you think they're dying. 
pick them up and they laugh at you like, gotcha. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. They learn how to lie. They learn how to manipulate. They learn how to get their selfish way long before they even learn how to talk. And so betimes means early and often. Not only that, consistently and committedly. If there's anything I could tell you, not from the standpoint of a father, but from the standpoint of a child, one thing that I'm thankful for is that my mom and dad were consistent. They weren't these parents that got on to us about this one time, but the next time let us get away with it. You know, the Bible says God's not the author of what? Confusion. He's not the author of confusion. It wasn't any of this now. I'm going to count to three. My dad counted to one. Amen. Not after you've changed the tone of your voice 13 times. You know, do this. Do it now. Do it now. Once we reach the highest decibel, then we take action. All you're training your children to do is I don't have to act until we reach this decibel, right? I was brought up in a home where early on I realized my mom's only what four foot eleven. Okay, a little short woman. I'm still to this day afraid of her. Now whether she could or not, she had me believing at 18 years of age she'd put me on my rear end if she needed to. Amen. She never did. My mom never did treat us roughly. One thing they didn't allow in our home though was for us to disrespect the authority God had given them. Because ultimately, disrespect against that authority is disrespect against God. Okay? I don't, I, I, somebody said, what would your mom do if you said no to her? I said, I have no clue and don't want to know. All right? I wasn't taught that at 12. I was taught that early. And by the way, there are things that my mom and dad corrected us for when we were very young. We, were never, we never had to be corrected for that again. You understand what I'm saying? If you do it committedly and you do it consistently and you do it with the proper care and the proper love kids are pretty smart you understand what I'm saying my wife and I have two twin 11 month old lab and uh, what is the other great Pyrenees mix they look like they're adults but they're just little kids it is amazing how we have taught them to sit and to shake and to be obedient in some ways. You know where I'm going with this? Your kid's smarter than my dog. I promise you. I promise you. I think a lot of the failure is in the consistency and the commitment. Side note. Don't be the, don't be the daddy that leaves all of the discipline to mama. I said, Brother Thomas, but I'm just not around a lot. And when I'm there, I, I want to have fun with the kids. And I don't want to be remembered for the one that's being... The discipliner in our home. Coward. What man leaves the hard part to mom? Amen. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. God's given you this portion as well. And by the way, don't you also be this father that puts division in the home by taking up for the child. When You understand what I'm saying? Be together in this. If you need to get apart from the children for a while and discuss your differences and how we're going to handle that, that's fine. But when you come out, you be together. Amen? Be together. Sometimes get home and dad could tell that mama wasn't happy. And sometimes, sometimes, anybody been in the situation where you got double jeopardy, uh, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Mama would get you and then you'd get home and daddy would find out that mama had to get you and daddy got you. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm getting whipped for the same thing. Daddy said, nope, 
You're in tr- mama got you for what you did, the act. I'm getting you for giving your mama a hard time. <laughs> you learned real quick. If you was going to get in trouble, you wanted to get in trouble by daddy first. Because if you got in trouble by mama, you're going to get it double time, all right? Beat, be together, be united, work together as a team. Your child will actually, by the way, love you more and respect you more if you discipline the right way in a loving way. I look back now and I thank God. Now, there were times mom and daddy would whip me and I'd think, oh man. Or there were times they would discipline me. I don't want to make it sound like my mom and dad walked around with a whip all the time, okay? Please don't get me wrong. But when they needed to, they did. The last spanking I got, I was 18 years old. Now, I don't remember the one before that because there were a few years in between, to be honest. But at 18 years of age, it was the last time my daddy whipped my tail. And it was her fault. We were, we were seeing each other, courting, dating, whatever you want to call it. And she lived about an hour and ten minutes away. And uh, it didn't matter where in the world I went in the state of Mississippi. I had to pass through Pelahatchee, Mississippi. That's where she lived. My dad, even at 18 years of age, 10 o'clock was our curfew. 10 o'clock was the curfew because he said there's really nothing good going on in the world after 10 o'clock. And first of all, I don't want your mama waiting up having to worry about you. It's just better if you be home 10. Yes, sir. You know how it is, 18 years of age, in love. And uh, it just got harder and harder to leave before 9 o'clock. And uh, I'd show up five minutes late. Daddy'd be at the door. He'd look at his clock. He said, 10 means 10. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I get it. I just run. always had an excuse, you know, traffic, deer, whatever. And uh, kept making a little later, a little later. Finally, there was this one day I showed up about 15 minutes late. And he showed up at the door and very sternly, he said, son, I've told you several times, this will be the last time I tell you. If I have to tell you again, there's going to be repercussions. 10 o'clock means 10 o'clock. Yes, sir. Of course, I'm 18. You know what it's like when you begin to turn 18, you're becoming your own man and sort of feeling like maybe you know all. You know, it's amazing the older I get, the smarter my daddy got. <laughs> but I, I just remember thinking, well, it's not that big of a deal. And, and here's this pretty blonde girl. You know, it's so hard to leave her. And I never will forget it. I think it was a Thursday night. I said, I, I've got to go. I need to go. But, uh, you know, again, her fault. Oh, you don't have to leave just yet. Showed up about 10 after 10. Daddy met me at the door. He said, you're not coming inside. I said, what do you mean? He said, you meet me out. What in the world? We go out to the shop, and he's already, he's already got the rod prepared. He said, son, I told you that if you did it again, there would be repercussions. And you know me, I am a man of my word. And by the way, he was. There was never a time that I can remember my dad ever said, if you do this, I will whip you, that he didn't whip me. Now, that's important, folks. Are you listening to me? Because the first time you tell your children there will be repercussions and then there aren't, guess what? I can get away with it. So we went out there and I remember being 18. Did it hurt? Yeah, it hurt. Did I cry? No, I'm 18. I think it's the first time my daddy ever whipped me that he bawled his eyes out while he did it. I never will forget. He wept. I didn't cry. But that last spanking probably made more of an impression on me than anyone he had ever given me before. And when he finished, he hugged my neck probably for the next 15 minutes. Went long after that, I got married, moved off. I look back at that and I thank God for a daddy who took the time in the 18 years of my life that I was there 
to mold me and to shape me and to keep me from drying up crooked. And I've got to move on. I told you, let me, let me move on. Let me say this. When you discipline your children, do it in the right motive. Do it in the right spirit. Not in anger. You know, when my daddy used to say, go to your room, I used to wonder, why? Is this torture? Make me go sit here and think about what I'm doing for the next 15, 20 minutes. And sometimes it'd take 30 minutes. He'd finally come in. You know what he was doing? Calming down. Right? There were, there were times he realized he needed to get over his anger before he walked in and disciplined me with his hand. By the way, picking up a fly swatter, taking off your flip-flops, or grabbing the first thing you can find is not wise discipline. I know parents that boast in that. Yeah, I just picked up the first thing I got and I tanned that hide. You know, the Bible says, like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That word pitieth, you know what it means? It means to fondle. Look it up. To fondle, to handle tenderly and lovingly. You know, when it's done properly, what did the psalmist David say? Thy rod and thy staff. Now, what does a shepherd use a rod and a staff for? Sometimes they're used for correction. But you know, when it's done properly and when it's done in love, and when you come to understand that it's done for your own good, you learn to realize that that brings comfort. Thy rod and thy staff, they what comfort me. I look back now and I thank God for the corrections, the pressure, the weight that God allowed my father and my mother to place in my life. Why? Because I realize, oh, listen, I know what's in me. And I know my nature. And I realize where I would be today if it had not been for a mother and a father that lovingly corrected me. Listen, Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Both tutorage and rebuke. And there's a time for both. Let me move to the second, third, and fourth point real quick. That was the longest one. Not only does an arrow need to be shaped. You get that. When they're young. When they're green. But an arrow also needs to be sharpened. Making an arrow straight is only a portion of the work. You may have a straight shaft. But without fletching and a broadhead, by the way, you don't have an arrow. At least not an effective one. You ever taken just a straight stick and pulled it on a string and shot it? It might go a little distance, but it's not going to have much of an effect. Now, what's the point here, Brother Thomas? We got the shaping part, but what, where are you going to go with this? I see these two things, the fletching and the arrow, as the components that God's given us. The most important ones. And that is the Spirit of God. And the word of God in the life of a child. Real quickly, let me tell you what I'm talking about. A child can be brought up, raised up to be the straightest, most intelligent, most moral person alive. But without the spirit of God and the word of God, their purpose will be useless. And their moral, upright life will be vain. What I'm talking about is a difference between religion and relationship. Okay? You know that Jesus said... Without me, you can do nothing. He didn't say without me, you can do some things. Or without me, you can do some things halfway well. He said without me, you can do nothing. 
If you don't understand this of your own life, I challenge you to find it in Scripture. Any effort for God is only powerful by the Spirit of Christ living in us and living through us. In other words, don't teach your children to be like Jesus without Jesus. It is as impossible to be like Jesus in the flesh as it is to keep the law of God in the flesh. And here's why. Jesus was the law personified. Jesus kept it purely. He kept it rightly. Your kids, and I've seen this, will live in utter frustration all of their young life in your home if you're expecting them to be Christ-like without being Christ-indwelt. You could just as easily pick up your own self by your bootstraps as you can to live the Christian life in your own effort and in your own flesh and in your own ability. I've seen countless children raised in Christian homes where the rules were strict, the standards were high, the expectations were rigid. And by the way, for a while they put on the right clothes and they said the right things and they looked and appeared for all intents and purposes like a useful era. But the day they were shot, they looked more like a boomerang than an era. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen it. I mean, some young people that you would have thought, why? How? You know why? Because I believe there were some parents who did really well in shaping them, but they failed miserably in shrouding them and sharpening them to be effective. Because morality without the Spirit of God is useless. There are going to be some good old boys that are going to die and go to hell one day. There's such a thing as teaching your children to be morally good and morally right and all of that and yet be lost and ineffective for Christ. Paul said in Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I think about what Paul said to Timothy. He said, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, that is what? In thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. He, he, he recounts how he came to know that faith. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make thee, what, wise unto salvation. My mom and dad, not only was it important for them that we grow up and live according to the word of God. Live within the moral standards of God's word. Learn the difference between right and wrong. And live a life that was righteous. But I thank God for a mom and dad that taught us to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to understand the power of the Spirit of God living in us and through us. Think about what God said of Abraham. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Listen, don't dare be one of those dads that's only teaching your children to be morally right. And be one of these guys that say, do as I say but not as I do. You want to turn someone off from a relationship with the Lord Jesus? You make that relationship seem hypocritical in your home. You make it all about the rules and the standards. 
You come into this church making everybody appear like it's all good. We've got all our I's dotted, all our T's crossed. And when we come in, kids, you better look and appear like you're good Baptist people. And then we go home and everything's disruptive and dishonest. What you're going to do is you're going to raise a child that all that child will see is religion but not a relationship. Not only does the arrow need to be shaped and it needs to be sharpened, but number three, it needs to be sheltered. He says the man has his quiver full. What was the quiver for? Well, there's a time between the time of shaping and the time of shooting that the arrow has to be kept. And the quiver was there not only to hold the arrows, but to protect the arrows, right? You don't want to allow that arrow to be broken or cracked or bent, between the time that you've prepared it and the time that you've shot it. And when hunting with my bow, I take great care to make sure my arrows are not harmed. Sometimes I think there are archers that are smarter than parents because I heard a preacher say one time, which of you guys would let a 17-year-old snotty-nosed kid walk up to your house, knock on the door, and say, could I have the keys to your brand-new C-71? Anybody here? Stranger, you don't know? And yet how many dads do you know will let their daughter walk right out the door into the hands of some guy that who knows what his intents and purposes. Sometimes we're not as smart with our children as we are with our possessions to keep them safe. And there are so many things, especially in this world, that can harm our children, especially in today's society. I'm thankful that my mom and dad were not influenced by the majority of parents who criticized them, by the way. Many times criticized them for the things they would not let us be involved in. Don't you know your kids are going to grow up and be unsocial? Don't you know your kids are going to grow up and not be popular? Don't you know your kids are going to grow up and, and not know how to function in society? I remember one time somebody saying to my dad, Don't you know your kids are going to go out in the world one day and be shocked at what they see? And he said, That's what I'm hoping for. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yep, they'll miss out on some things. But thank God they'll miss out on some things. And it's your duty and it's your job. And God's given you that responsibility to shelter your children. And oh, I wish I had more time because there are so many points, especially in today's society. Listen to me, Daddy. One of the most dangerous things you can put in the hand of your young child today is a telephone with internet on it. I don't care who's got it. I don't care how unpopular they'll be. I don't care who they won't be able to Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. What I'm telling you is that the devil is using those tools today to poison the mind of especially young men. More so today than any other time in history. And you may be unpopular for it, but God's given you the duty to shelter them. There are some things today that some of you adult men are still battling in your mind and heart because of what you saw when you were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Am I right? If we just be honest with each other? Am I right? And yet today, what what we used to have to go out and work hard to try to see All the wickedness and all the darkness and all the evil in the world is at our fingertips. We can find it with our thumb. That's just one thing. That's just one point. God's given you, Daddy, especially you, Daddy, the responsibility to shelter your children. I must move on. Not only does the arrow need to be shaped, 
and it needs to be sharpened. But it needs to be finally sheltered and then shot. joke is there were two hunters in the woods and they got lost and I've been there I got lost in Mahana National Forest in Delta I think it was like 16,000 acres if I'm not mistaken we were hunting I got drawn for a five day hunt we got out in the woods and I decided I'm going to walk around and after a while I realized I have no idea where I am lost as lost could be in the woods and so I know what that's like it's a scary feeling by the way it's not scary until you realize you're lost I'd been lost probably three hours I just didn't know it you don't cry for help until you realize you're lost. But there's these two guys in the woods, and I said, man, we don't know where we are. The guy said, I've always heard you shoot three times. Somebody come looking for you. So they shot three times. About an hour later, they said, man, nobody's here yet. He said, shoot three more times. He shot three more times. An hour later, nothing's happened. Finally, he said, man, let's shoot three more times. He said, look, I'm running out of arrows. We've got to do something pretty quick. <laughs> you know, there are so many arrows today that are just being blindly shot into the world. I see your arrow shot with, shot with no target in mind, no purpose given. From the time we're born until the day we leave our parents' home, we're raised with the intention, listen to me, we are raised or should be raised with the intention to glorify and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. I asked my wife on the way up here, I said, what would you say is the most important thing that you could teach your children? And she said, I think the most important thing you could teach your children is that whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Whether that be in our work, whether that be in our, even our hobbies. You realize that in your hobbies you can glorify God. The attitude that you have and the way that you do it and the testimony you are around those you are. I'm, I, in other words, everything I am and all that I do is for the honor and the glory of my creator and my redeemer. Teach your children that. And when you shoot them, you shoot them with that purpose. Are you praying are you praying right now about what the will of God is for your child? I can remember one, thing, one privilege of being fourth of seven kids is that I was able to watch my dad in different stages of different ages of the childhood. And One of the things that um, made the biggest impact of my life was walking into his bedroom and hearing something in his closet. And listening. And it was him praying. And I heard him, without him knowing, I heard him praying that God would lead me, protect me, and guide me, and use me. Talking about making an influence on a 12, 13-year-old boy. And I realized then that the discipline and the shaping and the sharpening and all of those things, you know what? His intentions were right and they were real and they were pure. He wasn't wanting me to be a preacher just to have that title. By the way, I've been in those youth meetings where every young man's called to preach and every young girl's called to be a preacher's wife. I don't think so. I'm not saying that that's not something that we ought to be praying God would call more laborers into the harvest. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that there's not a need for more pastors and more missionaries. But I am so thankful. Aren't you thankful for the Ahithophels? Yeah. 
Aren't you so thankful for the Jonathans? Aren't you so thankful for the men of God and the ladies of God who God uses in various aspects of the ministry and various aspects of the church and various aspects of his kingdom's work? You don't know what God might do with your child. The target that you're shooting for is that they would be used to glorify Christ and pursue his kingdom. You remember in the book of 2 Kings, the Bible says there was, a, there was a man who drew at a venture a bow and he released the arrows. You know what God did with that arrow? He took and guided that arrow and he smote the most wicked king in the nation of Israel with it. He so precisely guided that arrow that that arrow went between the joints of his armor and struck him. You know what I believe as a mom and dad, if you'll raise your children to not only live for Christ, but to know, I can't tell you, stress to you how important it is, how important it is. That you teach your children to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And you mold them and you shape them and you sharpen them. And, and then you shelter them. And then there's going to come a time. And it's going to come a time. By the way, moms, there's going to come a time they need to be shot, okay? going to come a time they need to be shot. And when you shoot them for the glory of Christ, I want you to understand. You can trust the hand of God. To lead them to the target he has intended for them. For his glory. I'm thankful for God called preachers. Not mama called preachers. Are you listening? I'm thankful for men and women of God. Who God places. And God in gifts. And God gives talent. Don't you think. Don't you bring your children up. Making them think you're going to be ashamed. If they're not used in this capacity. Let them be used in the capacity God deems to use them. Proverbs 17.25 says, A foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her that bore him. You know what that means? A dried up stick that makes a dried up crooked arrow is going to be ineffective. There's one last verse I'm going to leave you with. It may be the most important one I'll give you tonight. It's Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6. Here's what it says. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've known a lot of people that have said, Brother Thomas, I know that that verse says that. But my little Billy or my little Susie have gone astray. They're not serving God today. But I believe that verse. We taught them right. We taught them better. They know better. We just believe one day they're going to come back because that verse promises that. Not understanding, I believe, the real meaning of the verse. When you think of training up something, I used to read that verse and I sensed a a militaristic camp, if you will. This idea of we're going to train our children to love God. Have you ever looked up the word? Train up a child in the way he should go. It's not a militaristic term at all. The word train up in Hebrew means to narrow. To narrow down. And to initiate. And, and he, the way he should go is the word pe. And 342 times in the Bible it's translated mouth. It is to narrow the mouth. You know what it is? It's an Old Testament. It's an Old Testament example of teaching a child how to breastfeed. To what? Yeah. You ever seen a newborn baby? Uh, I don't know where to, where to go, what to do. 
All you need to do is give him a taste. Are you listening? You give him a taste. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. My mom and dad, for 18, 19 years as I was in their home, the most important thing they did for me was that they, they narrowed the mouth. You've seen a mama bring the mouth to the bottle, or bring the mouth to the nipple, or bring the mouth to the source. And once you get a taste, you, you don't have to worry about showing them again. Because they realized the goodness of it, the richness of it, the blessing of it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, you don't have to worry about him departing from it. You know why? Because, first of all, at the age of six years old, I came to the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And for the next several years in my mom and dad's house, I saw a mom and dad who loved the Lord and they were real in their faith. And I watched how God worked in their life. The joy and the peace and the contentment and the blessings that he brought to our home. I got a taste and I want you to know something. I don't want anything else. I don't want anything else. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My prayer is that God would use this message. And and again, the hardest, most difficult part was trying to cut out parts and bring it into one message. But I pray the Lord will help use this message to cause us to understand. First of all, God's given you something very valuable. And he's given you a great responsibility. And I know some of you are feeling like I'm a failure. I can't do this. I'm not wise enough. I don't have all of it. Listen to me. That's the reason why I believe we ought to. We ought to be on our knees tonight praying, God, give me wisdom. Give me help. Help me through your word and by your Holy Spirit to be the loving, caring, nurturing, guiding father that I should be. So that I might take these children. By the way, 18 years comes and goes. Children of the youth, let me remind you of verse 4. There's going to come a time where the time of your influence is over. Ecclesiastes says, where the tree falleth, there to lie. May God help you tonight with a sense of urgency to realize that as you have these arrows in your hands, you have the opportunity to make an influence in their life and to use them for the glory of God's kingdom. Brother Jeremiah, come. We'll turn the service over to you.